what does it do to kids when we have outbursts like that? Okay, first of all, this is where I sort of depart from most parent educators. Okay. You're human. And if you lose it, it's not okay. And it is okay. What you've done is you've expressed that you've hit my boundary. You've expressed that I modeled for you that I failed because I yelled. Where did you fail? And now. (laughs) I'm the captain now. (laughs) Coming to you from the K2 studios in San Diego, California. This sounds great. You sound amazing. I always sound amazing. It's the world famous. Everybody sit off like BFS. Chris and Christine Show. Hey, what's happening, everybody? How are you doing today? You know, thank you so much for listening. And I am Chris. And I'm Christine. Welcome to episode 139 of the Chris and Christine Show. You know, I actually love that. That was great. (laughs) Did you like that new intro? I did. I did that on the fly. Good job on you, babe. Well, thank you so much. I'm in like a little sing-songy mood, so I might come up with a ditty or three. Hey, go right ahead, babe. I'm good with that. Well, thank you. How many times are you going to call me babe this episode? It makes me feel like (laughs) babe the pig. I would. Do you that I movie? don't even put those two together, really. You know. Do you like, remember that movie? I do. It's mm-hmm. the one that like talked, and all the other animals talked to, like mm-hmm. Charlotte's Web, right? Uh, kind of. Yes, but modern, thoroughly modern, babe. And didn't the dog, the dog, did the uh, pig <laughs> like do tricks or something, like yeah, jump around, he, like, flipped or around, and stuff like that? Yeah. And then also, did he go Just talk? Like up, walk? Yes. Did he walk up to the sheep and say, "Hey, sheep, can you like uh, all like help me out here and like corral? I'm just be nice about it. like, hey, pretty please, come on now. <laughs> hey, that sheep actually talked to us. He's so nice. To us. Okay, sheep, you're okay with Why me? Why are you talking like Mickey Mouse? Is that how sheep talk? No. <laughs> that was bad. Oh, there you go. <laughs> See? Got you going, babe. Well, if you haven't guessed, you are hearing kidless Chris and Christine this evening. I don't say kidless. I mean, like, kid-free household because we are podcasting very late on a Monday night, and that doesn't normally happen. We normally are, like, podcasting on Sunday, but I don't know. Got a little different energy today because it's kid-free zone. And Christine happened to be out of town for the whole entire last week. When did you get Not back? Not the whole week. I mean, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I got home last night. Yes, that's almost like a whole week, right? Almost. It was like five days. Question. Yeah? Did you miss me? Honey. Honey, babe. Okay. Honey, babe. <laughs> Honey, babe. <laughs> that's, a new, that's a new version of babe. Next is going to be sugar, babe. Sugar, babe. Hey, I cannot live without you. I okay. cannot function without you. And you can't live with me. So... We're talking about I live with you all the time. I was teasing you yesterday because you were like, I miss you so much, so, so much. And I was think I think I texted this to you. I was like, okay, you tell me how bossy I am when I'm home and how I can drive you nuts, but I never irritate you is what you said. Uh, but yet... When I'm gone, you miss me so much. Make up your mind. Miss me or don't miss me. There is no in between. You know what's funny is that when like, well, you know, I, I just miss you so much. It's like it's like Yoda. He says, what, do or do not. There is no try. Miss or miss not. There is no in between. <laughs> so where would you tell everybody in the world where did you go last week? And why did you take off on me, babe? Well, you know, it goes back to about the year 2007. 
Just joking. Oh, yeah? Just joking. I think I was doing no. that year. Okay, so I was home with my, well, I say this is my home, but I was in my hometown ah. because my nephew's getting married and we were throwing a bridal shower. Well, no, my sister was throwing a bridal shower. I was just helping out. She did an amazing job. Her and the bride's mother, they threw this whole shower, but I was able to help out. Anyways, I went up early because I can. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I work remotely four days a week. Oh, and what's so, that even like? I know. The good life. Definitely. But it was really great because I was able to go up and I worked remotely, but I was able to see my parents. I haven't been able to get home as much. I don't know what it is. I think that you just don't like me out of your sight. Are you Are you just trying to like keep me all to yourself? Is that what it is? Because I hey, haven't you know been what? going home as much. I am selfish that way, yes. You selfish snowfish. Well, I I really haven't been going home as much. And I think a lot of like COVID stuff has to do with that, with traveling and I don't know. And then, you know, being here and having multiple kids and trying to figure out when's the right time that I can get away. It's exhausting. It is exhausting. I wish I could get away. Well, you know, away from who? Away does, from it, me? Isn't that the way? Isn't that the uh, old Southwest commercial? Like, gotta get away. Is that uh, what it was? Yeah, I think so because they have those fairs. It's like gotta get away or something like that. But uh, yeah, so I I drove up there and I had client meetings on the way, and then I was up there for a couple of days with family and worked. Had some client meetings in Fresno, and when I say client meetings, I'm talking about couples like brides and grooms that are preparing to get married, that I am helping with their wedding planning and their floral design. And so, um, yeah, I was very strategic. So on the way up, this is so crazy. Okay. So on Wednesday, I left here. I was on a personal day from work. So I left here and I went to – first I went to Carlsbad. Well, I went to Santee to get money. I went to Carlsbad to go and meet with my flower wholesaler because I needed to pay for some – orders and put some other orders in. And then I drove up to Santa Ana and I had to pick up some baby shower supplies that I'd bought from somebody off of Facebook Marketplace and it was on the way up. And so I got that because those were going to my sister for my niece's baby shower. And then I took a little jaunt over to West Covina to pick up some signs that a girl was making for me for one of my clients because I dropped them off on my way home from Palm Springs, which I think I mentioned last week. So after I did the little jaunt over to West Covina, I got back on the freeway and I went up the five to the 99. And then I stopped just in time for dinner at my client's house in Bakersfield, California. And I had a wedding planning session with them and we walked through what their venue is going to be and did some uh, planning stuff. Their wedding invitations had come in here just the day before. So I was able to well, when I stopped in CNT to get cash, I got stamped. So I went up there, went over their invitations. We got all of their invitations together, finished doing a lot of their planning. I got back in the car and then I drove up to Kingsburg and I arrived at like, oh, 10 o'clock at night. And then the next- Oh, wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. And then the next day, you know, I worked all day with, um, worked remotely for my job. And then in the evening, I went out and did a venue walkthrough with my other client that's in Fresno. And the next day, her my client is her mom and I actually work together with a consulting business that her mom owns. And so um, on Friday, her mom and I went to the rental place to like lock in all of her wedding rentals during lunchtime. And I took a lunch break and we went to lunch together. 
And so we were able to wrap that up. And then I was able to go home after work, have my family, help my family with the bridal shower. And um, then we did the bridal shower the next day. That night was my brother-in-law's 50th birthday party. Whoa, congratulations. 50 years old? It was a crazy like five days. So when I am away from you, I just more than anything, I want you to know that I'm trying to maximize, like squeeze as much as I can into that time so they don't have to be away from you as much. I really appreciate that. You amazing. Look at you. You're like tra- actually working like on a vacation. Oh, and then I forgot on the way back on Sunday. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I left early from my parents' house on Sunday morning because by 1030 in the morning, I had a meeting in downtown L.A. to walk through a venue with my other clients. And then I went and I had to pick up a bunch of stuff in the fashion district from L.A. That's where I get like my vases and all of that stuff because it's really inexpensive. And then I drove down to Placentia, which is down by Anaheim. What did you say? Placentia? Placentia. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Not Placenta. (laughs) Placentia. Okay. And I met up with one of my full service wedding planning clients there in at a brewery or tasting room because that's where she's going to have her engagement party in three weeks. So we had to do all of that planning there. And then that's the one that's the destination wedding in Greece, which by the way, Oh, yeah. They are thinking that they might like me to travel with them. Oh, to Greece, huh? I know, right? You've never been to Greece. Have I've you? never been to Greece. I've heard, it, I heard it's amazing. I mean, too. I heard it's like white and, and cute little flower stuff and blue waters and cliffs and all that stuff. Yeah, all it's really gorgeous. So they're like very close to, because I'd already quoted that out for them and they already have me in a full service contract. But the bride was like, you know, I'm getting really nervous. I think I would really like to have you there. We're gonna look at the budget, see if we can work it out. I'm what like, would it cost? Like, just add. What would it cost? Add you to like the travel budget if they're gonna have you go there. So, that's a great question. Typically, somebody would charge a whole lot, but for me, like, I want to go before and stay a little bit after. And so, what I quoted. Wait, wait, no, you're there for the business. You're not there for a vacation. Yes, I am. I'm not. I'm gonna wrap it into a little <laughs> okay, trip. So, okay, okay. I, of course you are, but I so mean. what I'd said to them is cost of flight and. Uh, Three nights hotel, which they already have a negotiated rate. So, just for flight and the three nights of hotel, it's like fifteen hundred dollars, which isn't bad if you think about it. Flying out a wedding planner from the U.S. to help you manage everything, but I would go like three or four days ahead of time so that I can make sure that everything's in order at the venue, and then stay a few days after, maybe travel to some of the other islands. But uh, anyway, so I met with that client, and then finally made my way home from there. So overall, if you think about it, I ran two wedding errands and then I had one, two, three, four, five client meetings over the course of that couple of days. Whew, I'm tired. And then today I had three more. Look at you. You're knocking out of the park, baby. You know, I'm here to help you, you know. I mean, I, I do appreciate that. I am the that. wedding helper boy you for are, a reason. You are the wedding helper boy. And I was just counting up because one of my friends was asking me how the business was going And we're launching into, we're like less than two weeks away from starting the busiest wedding season, the busiest part of wedding season. You would think that like June and like April will be busy wedding season. No, but like September, October, November is like San Diego wedding summer. Between August 21st and December 3rd, Christine Smith Designs has 18 weddings. No way. 18 weddings plus a baby shower. And any more than pop, pop up, you never know. Yeah, an engagement party plus a bridal shower plus another event. So really, we have 21 events from August 14th. We have an event on Sunday, August 14th, all the way until December 3rd. It is a lot. If you think about it, it's like 
14 or well, 15 weeks listen, and 21 events. Listen, listen. If you need huh. me to retire early for my job <laughs> to help you out, I'm all I'm You'll all take down. one for the team. I'll, t- I'll take one for the team. No. Y'all. See, I can't handle that. And here's why. Because like tonight's a perfect example. Yeah. I'm getting ready to log on for a client meeting on Zoom. And I was like, hey, I really need it quiet. And you're like, oh, what? So I can't play music? And then I was like, can I just have some like quiet because I would really like to take this client meeting. And you grab your phone and you sit in the chair next to me. Yeah. I'm like, I need to be not distracted. And then you did keep yourself busy for the most part and pretty quiet while I was in my meeting. But you knew that we were going to start podcasting at nine. So at 9.05, 9.11, when I had... What did I do? What did you do when I had not finished my Zoom call yet? Like a little kid. (laughs) Like me. No, like a little kid. You walked out of the office. You walked over to the couch directly across from my line of sight, right where I'd be looking over my laptop. Yeah. And you like... (sighs) And you lay down on the couch and you're like... Hmm... You're like, oh, like tapping your watch or whatever it was. You were doing. Water, water I don't even know. And then I was like, just hanging up, well, just winding up on my Zoom call. And then I like looked over at you and you were like, I'm just going to take a five minute nap. That's right. I did. 47 minutes later. I didn't set my timer. 47 minutes yeah, later, you, you said, decided to wake up. What happens when you take a nap? Yeah. And you don't set a timer. Yeah. You just sleep too long. Have you che- checked Instagram, by the way? Uh, no, why? What's on Instagram? <laughs> Is that a picture of a story? <laughs> it's not just a picture. It's a video with sound. <laughs> and it's like, this man is supposed to be podcasting right now. Lazy bones. <laughs> well, I worked so hard this week. This, today it was a busy um, day. Today, you took the kids for what? Uh, haircuts. Yeah. How how did that happen? Well, because okay. they've been like anti haircut. You know, it's funny. All summer long, the kids are like, no, I'm growing my hair out. I'm going to be like hippies and stuff. You know, they want to keep it all oh, long. It's so mangy. It's shaggy. It, it's like that awkward. It's not even shaggy. It's mangy. Yeah, I don't know what that even means. Is that even a word? It's like mangy? a clover, like, mangy, like matted. Mangy is something like like a stable and like for horses and stuff. <laughs> that's a manger. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's where it came from. Mangy came from manger. Mangy came from a manger. Okay. So the kid's hair is like all that long, awkward, like on your ears. I told Mason today, I said, hey, Mason, can you even hear me with those hair aids instead of hearing aids? <laughs> Because he has hair draped over his ears. That's oh, how long it is. And Jacob, same thing too, but his hair kind of curls. So it kind of curls up around the sides. And had, he always likes to wear baseball hats. He has the 1970s flip going on his hair. Like is that what lady, it is? Like what the ladies used to do, like flip their hair out. So you think he'd have like the, if he had the 1970s mustache, he would like pull it off perfectly, oh, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the stash. So he has that thing going on. So neither one of the kids want to get haircuts, right? They're like, I don't want a haircut. I want to go out. Whatever. I said, but you got to get him trimmed up at least a little bit to where it grows out naturally, right? So it's not all just like a mishmash of everything. Right. Absolutely. So I took them to, I mean, at first I made appointments at Supercuts, the one we used to go to by the old house. I call them up, make a noon, noon appointment. So what we do is we head on down there. I run to the bank, get cash. Now, the reason why I get cash, even though you can pay with a card there, is they did tell me a while ago, the girls there saying that we appreciate cash for tips because you can't pull out of the register when you pay for a tip on a card. You only have like one register there. So they have a lot of cash to divide the tips out in the day. So how do they get their tips? I don't know. I guess not very well. Or maybe they, I don't know how they keep figuring it out. Maybe Weird. they got to, yeah. So that's what he said, recommend. So you know what? I'll just get cash from if I can. So I did that. And, uh, but we went down there. We had about 20 minutes to kill. So I'm like, the mall's right there. 
I said, you guys want to go to Best Buy and like walk around, just like, you know, browse stuff for like 20 minutes? How is that even possible? And You're going to be late for your haircut. And the kids were like, I'm on time. So the kids were like, I don't want to go to Best Buy. I don't have any money. I said, that's okay. We look around. Don't you ever look around at stuff? No. I used to do it all the time. They, that, that they used to be think my- that like, there's no such thing as window shopping. It's shopping and you must buy. I mean, yeah. We need to retrain our kids. Like, whatever happened to the art of window shopping? I used to do it all the time. Yeah, let me I tell do. you. Let me tell you, when I was in uh, high school, I had uh, I was super smart at school, believe it or not, and I actually was able to get off school early. So I actually did not have to do sixth period. I did only went through one through five. Wait, that's not because you were super smart. That's because you decided not to go to like a university. So you didn't have to take the extra classes. Hey, hey, it's either here or there. Okay. <laughs> that's not the point. Yeah. All right. So I actually got off, uh, but I had practice afterwards after school, which happened after school regularly mm-hmm. ended. So here I have like an hour or whatever classes to kill. So what I used to do is go to the mall or go to places like that and just, you know, walk around and do window shopping and, you know, that kind of stuff, you know? So basically your hobby was to loiter. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I remember some stores had like, well, they still have that. Like if you go to Best Buy, they'll have like video game consoles you can play with. Mm-hmm. Trust me, I would hit those things up for like an hour because I had, I had to kill some time for an hour, you know? It was way before cell phones and all that stuff. And before you had your own vehicle? No, I have my own vehicle. That's the point. I, had, I drove. See, I lived so far from the school, I couldn't go home. By the time I drove home to the house in Alpine. Oh, because you had practices and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd have like five minutes to turn around and come back, waste yeah, the gas. got it, got it. All that stuff. All right. So anyways, I took the kids to Best Buy. I walked around, looked at new computers. The kids were perusing the uh, video game section. And then as we were walking oh, out. Of course they were. We, we saw a... Um, we saw a Xbox. One of the Xboxes, I don't know. It was on the counter, on the floorboard, the floor near like the counter section. Oh, okay. Walk out like a little end cap thing. Ooh, we gotta get one of those. Ooh, I thought you guys have an Xbox. Oh, but this one's better. I said, what's better about it? It's the Xbox S. Which one do you guys have? Wait, don't they have like the X? That's what like, I said. How does S come before, after? I don't even understand. Oh, this one doesn't even take like um, discs. It's just like it's all online, I guess. It's all like chips. But that's or what the last one does. I don't know. That's why I asked him. This that. is so crazy. It's oh, like, this one's faster. It's like this one's faster, it. and it only costs seventeen thousand dollars. Yeah, it was like three hundred bucks to be exact. Wow. But one thing I did look at when I was over there at Best Buy because I was considering doing this, but I don't think I'm going to. Was I was considering maybe if I had the money and the price was right, which is not, was uh, taking the Z over to a place like Best Buy or any kind of those car stereo shops and seeing what it costs to actually remove the stand, the, the head unit I have now, stereo unit in there and replacing it with an Apple CarPlay one. But I, as I say, every time you say that you want to get the Apple CarPlay unit, that doesn't do diddly squat until you actually get your car wired so that you can have an ongoing conversation with somebody. Oh, you can. There's a microphone Without it there. sounding like you're like sitting in the middle of a trash compactor. <laughs> trash compactor? No, garbage disposal. That's better. Uh, garbage disposal. It really does sound like a garbage disposal. Whenever you call well, it, yeah. it's like... <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe upgrade that. I don't know. But I was checking those, those head units in there. Like the one that... Ha- Why is ha- it called a head unit? Well, it's a... I don't know. It's called stereo head unit. The ones that had there... Um, the one that had Apple CarPlay I saw was like $700 or $500. Like, we don't need to be dumping any more money into the Z. We've already dumped so much money into that car. And I rarely listen to the radio on that thing. So it's like, you know, I'm mm-hmm. at, I was kind of thinking that. It's like, it's got a good, decent radio. It does a job. It does Bluetooth or whatever. But our Apple CarPlay 
if you have Apple CarPlay, any of your modern, almost new cars have it. Yeah. It's a game changer. And ever since I saw you had it in the old Camaro back in the day, mm-hmm. I was like, what is this magical like screen on the on the front of your car? It looks like your phone. It's bright. It's got so all the- you fell in love with my, my, what did you call it? My head unit? Yes. You fell in love with my head unit before you fell in love with me. Wow. Well, no, about the same time. Uh-huh. Well, how did the, the haircut situation go? Like, did so they, finally first to- of all, did they fight you once you were trying to get them in there did they like try to run away uh yeah uh no did they seriously no well i got them in they're like they were like kind of like okay let's go you know come on like they weren't you know really they weren't fighting you like jacob was so mouthy to you before you left here i don't like a haircut yeah he was saying a little bit of that stuff but they weren't really excited so we get there we had an appointment they were busy mm-hmm. monday I don't know why. They're both not busy. I saw some kids in there. So I'm thinking because school. School's getting ready to start. Right. Yeah. And, and there were some other adults in there too. But I think that was part of it that I was getting real busy. And I think Monday, middle of the day, you think it was so bad, but I guess right. it was. So we get in there. We had a 12 o'clock appointment. We had to wait. We, uh, there was two people ahead of us still. Once they went and then Mason went first. And then Mason's like, I want you to cut off one little strand. That's it. One is little that hair. what he was saying? This is the hair. I give you permission Did to cut Did he the- seriously say yes. that? Oh, yeah. He's like, this is, the per- this is the hair. I give you permission to cut. That's it. This is one. This is- <laughs> what are we talking what about? What in the world? <laughs> so I told them to kind of keep it, you know, fairly long-ish still, but kind of trim it up. I said, get off his ears and the basic back. And the back section, he didn't use the clippers at all, by the way. It was all scissors. So he kind of very carefully trimmed the back. So basically, this- they still look like shaggy little puppies. A little bit they do. And it's funny. I noticed when they were cutting Mason's hair, you know how like all the hair will fall to the floor. You can see all the pile. Uh-huh. If you have like a long hair, they're shaving your head off. Yeah. It's a big pile on the floor. And with uh, it was funny. I told Jacob, I said, when I walked back to the seat where Jacob is, I said, Jacob, watch this. I told the guy to shave Mason's head. <laughs> and Jacob's like, oh, really? You did? Yeah, watch, watch. watch. And then, but he didn't because I thought the guy was going to get the clippers out. Yeah. Because when you get the clippers out, I was like, look, Jacob, he's getting the clippers out. And Jacob's eyes would have been like saucers. Yeah. Got, like, what? But no, so I noticed the pile for Mason was much bigger when they did Jacob's hair. When Jacob did his hair, they trimmed a little bit off. And the guy asked me, hey, are you good with this? You want to go more? I asked Jacob, what do you think? Because he's looking in the mirror. Oh, I'm fine. It looks good. That's fine. It's what fine. Did they, but did they do his sideburns? Jacob's, they did. Yeah, okay, they, how they, did they do them? Did they like clip them off or everything, did they use scissors? Everything was scissors they did. The guy okay. didn't pull clippers out for anything. It was all scissors. Because his sideburns were like so bushy. Yeah, I don't understand what it was going on. It was all over the place. We wouldn't wear a hat. It like, you know, it was like crushing the clown, like popped out, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, like the side of his head. <laughs> like hair pushing out from the side, you know? All curly and natty and everything. Didn't know which direction oh you wanted goodness. to go. These kids, I mean, you know, I know that you're dealing with that. Thank you so much because they have been driving me crazy with that hair. But I will say I had a fantastic weekend with Ezekiel. He was with me. So he decided he wanted to come down early. I was supposed to have him like Friday night until Sunday, but he hasn't been with my parents as much. And so I got him on Thursday night yeah, Thursday night. And then uh, he's still with my parents as of tonight, which is Monday night. He wanted to spend more time with them. And he's oh, that's been, good. Yeah, he's been a real good boy. And, you know, it's been we've just been trying to figure out like how to help support him as he's getting ready to go into senior year. And I know that there's always, you know, challenging dynamics when um, when we're down here and there's he's one of many kids and being used to being an only child. Like I want to make sure that I still preserve time to be able to spend with him and let him know that our time is important. 
And, you know, it can be a lot of changes as we're getting like as we're blending our family, huh? Absolutely. You know, and having kids and being around kids, kids can drive you nuts. Trust me. I know. <laughs> my goodness. You know. But I'm sure that we can drive them nuts, too, because we're still no. trying. We're still trying to figure all of this out. And I know that, you know, as much as I try to be a really good parent, I don't always show up as the best version of myself. And I know that, you know, sometimes we have friction and things like that. And that's why I'm so excited for the interview that we are having on today's episode, we will give you a little disclaimer. It's a super vulnerable interview. We did it when we were going through some friction in the house. And it's just a really, I think it's a really transparent and vulnerable peek into what life is like as you're learning how to blend families and learning how to co-parent effectively. And so we waited just a little bit for the perfect timing to share this interview with you. And we're really excited for today's guest. And we really hope that you learned something about us and about yourselves and maybe how to better support the families in your life that are blending together. Right, Chris? Absolutely. We will have her on the show right after this. Are you in the middle of wedding planning and feeling overwhelmed? There's no need to fret, my friend. Christine Smith Designs is here to rescue you. Offering wedding planning, coordination, and wedding floral design services, let us help relieve your stress and make your wedding day dreams a reality. Visit us at christinesmithdesigns.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E smithdesigns.com and request a free consultation. You'll be so glad you did. And welcome back, everybody. Today, we have a guest that I'm just very excited to chat with. I think that she's going to be very relevant to us in our own home, as well as to all of our listeners out there. I'd like to welcome the founder of Proactive Parenting, Sharon Silver. Thank you for having me, and thank you for that applause. <laughs> hey, Cher. Well, thank you. We bring the crowd in just for our special VIP guests like yourself. <laughs> thank you. Well, where in the world are you joining us from today? I am in San Francisco, right along the bay, and loving it. Oh, that's awesome. What's the weather like up there today? It's a little windy, but it's perfect. <laughs> oh, I got to love San Francisco. Now, I have to ask you, are you a Giants fan? Of course. Yay! That's like Hallelujah. the rule. You got to be a fan of whatever like town you live in, I would hope. You know? Absolutely. And, you know, I'm a deadpan Giants fan, so are my kids. Oh, <laughs> there awesome. you go. My son and I are Giants fans. I go to Padres games. I will cheer. Wait, yeah, I thought you were a Padres fan. I will cheer for the home team here. But, you know, Giants are coming into town in San Diego here in just like a week and a half. And I was thinking about taking the boys to the game, and I was thinking, Oh, I'm going to have to cheer for my Giants. <laughs> You're going to have to. And we'll be looking for you in the crowd. So, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So have you lived there uh, your entire life, Sharon? Pretty much. I, I arrived in San Francisco when I was about 16. Oh, wow. So yeah, where'd you arrive? a long time ago. Where'd you arrive from, with, from then? Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Oh, Oh, wow. Yeah. My son's two favorite cities. He's a Steelers fan and, and a Giants fan. So there you oh, go. I grew up as a Steelers fan. It was, you know, that was the way it was in my family. But when my parents got divorced, we um, we moved out here. Oh, wow. And so you've been there since about 16? Yes, I have. I met my husband out here and I've been married for a very long time and my kids are natives. So oh, I'm very awesome. happy about Fantastic. that. Fantastic. Yeah. Did so you go to college up in that area also? 
Yeah, I did up in the Napa Valley and I uh, researched and found the only early childhood professor that was relevant at the time. She was the one who was writing all of the course books and uh, it was a great gift to find her. And so I went to school in the Napa Valley. Oh, that's wonderful. Were you a fan of wine? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Okay. Big question. Red or white? Um, Well, it used to be red and now it's white. Okay, I, and I would oh. say rosé is my option. <laughs> now, what made the switch? Is just too much? The the reds is too heavy. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's it's just too much, and the white is a little lighter. And uh, yeah, I used to work for a very large winery, so I know far too much about wine. Okay, then what's your thoughts on box wine? <laughs> <laughs> Do I need to keep going? <laughs> Is it worth it? Or about the big no. jug? Remember the big jugs of wine? I remember those. They came in like this big giant like jug that you put your finger around to carry with it. What kind of wine? <laughs> what are you talking about, Chris? Oh, is it like those ones, like the Italian looking ones that are like fat at the bottom, skinny at the top? But they're like a big jug with a little handle. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, I remember those growing up. Your parents You're not it. allowed to be seen with those in the Napa Valley. You have to put them in a brown paper bag and you have to keep walking. It's right. It right. I think the homeless walk around with those. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so you went to school in Napa Valley. Did you meet your husband in college? Uh, No, I met my husband. I knew him years before that. We've been married for about 43 years now. We are one of the very rare few. Um, And we didn't kill each other during the pandemic. So we're doing okay. That's amazing because I know, and Chris and I have talked about this numerous times on the show, all of the stats that we heard about couples that were splitting up through the pandemic. We also heard stats of those getting together because of the pandemic. That's true. Yes. And you heard a lot about um, people really reviewing their family dynamics during the pandemic because they couldn't escape it. They couldn't get away from it. So every trigger and trauma bond that they brought into the relationship had a glaring light on it during the pandemic. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, in, in my space at this point, I'm trying to help parents. Okay. What'd you find out and how do we deal with it? Yeah, it was definitely a rough little patch there going through the pandemic. We were, well, we got married in the middle of the pandemic. And so we were blending our family right at the height of it. And then when we as parents got COVID, it definitely, it was, it was a lot. And I think it's still a lot for us to process through. And I'm just thinking like, I don't know what the impact of that whole lockdown situation is going to be on American families. Are you seeing an influx of parents that you're working with? Um, yeah, I am. And and basically what I'm seeing, and it fits perfectly for my brand, is that we need to revisit the foundation of our parenting experience. In other words, we have to remember that we have all come a really long way in our growth and our personal growth and our communication. And it hasn't really trickled down into the family system the way that we talk to the kids. And so most people are looking for, I'll read a good book. You know, it was one of the first questions you asked me, did you write a book? And I say, yes, I did. But can you really in the middle of a drama or an argument say, wait just a second, hold on. I'm looking for the answer. One second. That's, I know it's on 30, page 32. Wait, 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 wait. wait. <laughs> just no, just no, Google no. it real quick. That's what you got to do. You got to yeah. Google this real quick. Yeah, not going to happen because so you need to be able to find those foundational 
things that represent you, take care of your needs, represent your child and take care of their needs, and on and on it goes. So I'm about the basics. I'm about how do we keep that connection as we correct behavior. So it leads me to wonder like how you even got started in this field of supporting parents. You mentioned going to school with somebody that was, or with a professor that was yeah. uh, really top notch as it relates to like early childhood. Yeah. So what did you study and what's your passion? Okay. Well, again, I'm older than most of you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at the time there was only, I started to become a therapist and I went into early childhood and I met this magnificent woman. Her name is Janet Gonzalez Mena. She was a student of Magda Gerber. And if anybody knows of Janet Lansbury, who was also a student of Magda Gerber. And so we all trained um, in a really interesting way. And I now forgot what the question was. Oh, like how you got started in this line oh. of work and what you do with early childhood and what your passion is. Yeah. At the time, there really was nobody had heard of parenting. Nobody had heard of early childhood. Never uh, heard of parenting. Well, I mean, they'd not heard of it in co in the college setting, that there was a class you could take on parenting. Oh. It was all early childhood development. This was oh, a like long nursery, like, time ago. Like babies and like, yeah. what do you do with a newborn? Right. It's like, how do you observe them and feed them and say goodnight and that's it. Um, but Magda Gerber sparked something inside of me. And then T. Barry Brazelton, America's favorite pediatrician for many, 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 many years, started to introduce this concept of a parent educator. But all of the studies were back on the East Coast. So I picked up everything I could. I studied everything I could. And then I began to realize that parents are all really doing a great job. What they have forgotten is to balance the way they correct behavior with calmness and boundaries. And so it became my passion as a result of something that happened to me in my life to go forward and blend the two. How can we be aware? How can we be awake? How can we be conscious? How can we be mindful and firm at the same time and say, I'm sorry, dude, that's not going to fly. So Sharon, what did happen to you uh, that traumatized you and made you want to do that? Well, my family system, God bless them, you know, they were loving people, but they had no resources and no skills. And so what happened was that my mom ended up passing what I've named passing the pain down the chain. So every generation just con continues to do what the generation before them had done. And it got to a place where my mom I, we all went to see my son in his first Christmas performance, and he was about three years old. Mm -hmm. And an incident happened. She made a statement with in front of all of my friends. We walked outside. I confronted her. At that time, I was not responding. I wasn't my fabulous self that I am now. Mm -hmm. um, and she smacked me across the face. Like as an adult. You were an adult. Yes. And your mother was slapped an adult. you. In front of everybody? Yeah, in front of my community, in front of my son's teachers, in front of all my friends, in front of my husband, in front of my children. <gasps> she just lost it, and she smacked me. And as a result, I began to realize the buck stops here. I do not know what that means, but the buck will stop here. I will never do this to my children. I will never be so out of control that I cannot at least grab a sacred pause which is a breath, and say, I'm triggered. I'm going in the other room. I'll be back. You have a seat. 
So mm-hmm. if what you heard in my voice is a firmness, there's nothing wrong with that. Your child fully knows when they've done something. And for you to say, you know what, I'm not going to scream at you, but I am angry. So I'll be back in two minutes. Please sit here and do not move till I get back. But what if they do move? What do you do? What are you supposed to do in that situation? In that situation, you're going to address the I moved after everything is finished. So after you have your conversation, after you come back and say, well, on top of everything else, I see that you chose not to listen to me. So we have to do something about that as well. So you had this defining moment with your mom and Mm -hmm. um, that definitely must have been and still is, I'm sure, painful in some way, shape or form. But from that point, did you all of a sudden say, okay, I'm going to now jump into being a positive parent or like, what was that pathway? Well, I had already begun that pathway, but the, it it became a narrowing of who I wanted to be in the space. And what I found was everybody was talking about the lovely words that we all use and they're great and they work, but that's our mind. And when you're dealing with children and you're triggered, you drop from your mind to your heart, to your guts, to your reaction. And so there was a disconnect and there was a separation there. And I was applying these things to my life with my children and it would only go so far. And all of a sudden I'd get triggered again and they'd repeat the behavior again. And there was nobody that was able to tell me, why have we not gone all the way with this? And how do we go all the way with this? Hmm. And that was what my passion became. So I studied everything under the sun and pulled together different methods until I was able to really focus on what is going on with reacting. And that's where we are now. And so kids can really trigger people quite quickly, I would say. I I think of all things on, on life, I think kids seem to really trigger people the quickest. But why is that? Because like, I, I don't know. I Being in education, I've had to learn over the years that your kids are going to stand up to you like in the classroom as a teacher. I'll say, for example, I was a middle school and high school teacher. I'm an administrator now. Um, God bless you. <laughs> but in, I remember as a, I was a first year middle school teacher, um, uh, second year middle school teacher, I was pregnant with my son at the time. And this kid was going berserk. And at that time, I just told him, you need to stop. And I need you to put your hands down because he was like starting to get into a fight. And then he came towards me like he was going to punch me. And I said, I want you to think very carefully about what you're about to do. And he just like stopped and dropped his hands. And then, you know, I got him to the office and it's like very heated situations like that, having to keep your wits around you. I, I get in my feelings at times, but I would say that I am not always as easily triggered, but what is it for some people that triggers them so quickly when a child doesn't listen? There are several things going on in that story that you just told. The first is I want to start with the child. When we ask children, and you well, and you know this, that when we ask children to change their behavior, it's a risk for them. They have to dig deep to find that well of safety that will support them as they risk changing their behavior. And you can only do that if you have a connection between child and adult. So obviously, you were respected, 
safe authority in this child's life that you could actually say, think very carefully about what you're about to do. And he responded. So that's part of it. And, you know, the reason I point that out is because I want parents to remember, you have, you have to fill that well with safety. You have to connect so that the child can make those withdrawals throughout life. When it comes to the parent, why did the parent react? Because the parent has brought something with them from their childhood that lives under the covers of the unconscious. And that's what rose up when the child provoked them. So that red flag moment, that red flag moment has two separate sides to it. I call it the 50-50 rule. And the 50-50 rule is what did I bring to the party and what did the child bring to the party? And the only way to do this is for the more skilled person to reach out and connect with the less skilled person and to navigate from there by asking questions. And when you ask questions, you're actually pulling the brain from the emotional side to the logical side. And that's that moment that you can get a child to begin thinking logically long before their brain has actually activated it. But what happens when you get into this toxic dance where both the kid and the adult are triggered and neither of them feel like they have the skills to be able to lift up out of it and it becomes like a full-blown yelling match? Um, That's the moment for what I call the sacred pause. That's when the more skilled person says, okay, timer on two minutes of silence. I'm sitting right here. You sit and breathe. I'm going to sit and breathe because I'm not going to sit here and yell. It's easier said than done. Oh my gosh. Yes. (laughs) And especially because what I've noticed in situations is it can feel like it's um, like if I pause right now, I'm going to lose the power. And I feel like in my observations of friends and things like that, that we've chatted about, and even in our own household, it's like, this desire to keep the power within the dynamic. And if I let go of it, that maybe the kid's going to run all over me or they're going to, you know, have no rules and be disrespectful. So how do we navigate that mind shift? I I can't thank you enough for for nailing this because it is about power. It's a fight for power. But if you really look at the the situation, the child is pretending they have the, the power. The child is using every resource they have, probably modeled after the adult and the way that that interaction went, in order to navigate this. But the adult has different skills and more resources and can absolutely say, we're going to sit here until we're both calm enough to say words to each other that will not harm or hurt. And that trigger, when you start looking at it, you have to say, okay, I am the authority. Why do I believe my power can be taken from me? Why do I feel I have to fight to maintain my power? And the biggest question is, what is true, authentic power? And true, authentic power is very quiet, very calm, and very firm. Let me give you a perfect example. Yeah, yeah. thank you. <laughs> we're both I, looking I know, at each other Lance across sounds, the table, yeah. and we're like... Okay, I think I need you to repeat that it, it last sounds like statement. A, it sounds like a Marvel superhero <laughs> you're describing. I know, I know. Somebody asked me what my, my superpower was, and I went, invisibility. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> um, so the idea here is that what you really want, let me give you an example. Most of the time when parents get triggered, it has something to do with the attitude years, the argument years, mm-hmm. the attitude. 
And most parents will say, don't you dare talk to me that way. Don't you dare go down that line. I heard that. Who do you think you're talking to? That's pretty standard. And then there's a consequence. It's very punitive and it's controlling. It's like, you will not. But what if the parent took that sacred pause, which sends a message to the child, "Uh uh-oh, she's gathering her power, (laughs) and simply says, try again. Now, notice how I said it. I separated Mm -hmm. the words. I put a downbeat in the middle, and I was very firm and very clear. And what that does is it completely stops the child in 2.3 seconds and causes them to look inward immediately and Mm -hmm. reframe what they've said and say it in a more respectful manner. And now you're not triggered. I like that phrase. I really like that because I I am guilty 100% seven times a day of saying, check your tone. And then the response back from the 12-year-old is, what tone? I don't have a tone. I'm not speaking in any tone. And I'm like, yes, you are. No, I'm not. And then it's that power struggle. And there you so, go. There you go. So I like that. Try again. And what if you had a conversation as a family, especially being with a blended family, where you say, we're all going to go around and say what listening looks like to us. What does listening look like to us? What does respect look like to us? So you have a baseline. Remember I talked about that foundation, that baseline? You want to start with that baseline of understanding so you can just basically point to it and say, that did not come across as listening to me. Try again. Mm -hmm. And then it shortens to try again. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm... I'm just like, my brain is processing because... Hey, honey, try again, babe. No, no, no. See, you said it too quickly. (laughs) Hey, honey, try again. Oh, that was powerful. I could do that. See, there you go. And and if you really are triggered, go ahead and even be firmer with that because it is the way that you project your voice that works here. Try again. Now... My husband says, honey, you're so good at that. You could scare a neighbor, you know, like down the street. I said, yeah, I'm really good at this, but I do it for show. Mm -hmm. But then I asked my kids and they said, yeah, that kind of rattled through us like really bad. (laughs) Well, that's good for, good for you, bad for them, but good for you. Well, they had to realize that there was, I wasn't going to go back to the way I was treated, which I had, I had my mouth washed out with soap when I was a child. I had my mouth smacked and, you know, it was all about the tone of voice. It was all about the respect. And that was a trigger that came from my mother that she brought with her from her father. So you see, it's gone down the generations until I said, no, I'm going to hold that sucker back and I'm going to find another way. Yeah, definitely. And so, you know, we did mention just before we got into this interview that, uh, we are a blended family and we're learning how to bring our kiddos together. And they definitely, the two older are definitely in the attitude years. Mm-hmm. And oh my goodness. What was that all about? Chris? Attitude years. De- they definitely have attitudes. Yes. The two oldest are in the attitude years. And the little years. youngest one's following suit. Yeah. And so we're trying to figure out how to stay on the same page as parents to where it doesn't divide us because what I find is um, while the kids may have attitudes and I can recognize it as attitudes that we can get into a point of 
the power struggle and things can escalate very quickly when people are trying to grapple for power. And so how would you coach us as parents dealing with three boys that are all going through the attitude years right now to like help us preserve our energy as parents and focus in the right area? Well, first go to the Napa Valley and get a box of wine. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> or a jug or, you or know, or just give me the whole can. barrel. <laughs> so here I'm going to ask you guys questions. You don't have to answer them on air, but, but it would be what I would say to any parent who was uh, blending a family. How are your feelings? Do you feel that every moment must be a blended moment? Is that, you know, what does that mean then exactly every moment? Yeah. What does that really mean? Are you allowed to meet as separate families and talk about the dynamics that came into this relationship and the impact that this is having on other people? Or is this, and we're going to sit down at the kitchen table and we're all going to talk about it. And let me phrase this by saying I, my parents got divorced and I did have a bonus dad. And in the beginning, God bless him. He was strong because I was nasty. I was <laughs> really young and really resentful. And I basically gave him a, a world of trouble. And he's the one who taught me, go talk to your mom. Go and have a private family meeting. And then when you're ready, come and talk to me. Because I don't have any rights to interject what I think this family should be. We will work on it together. But you guys have to figure out what's going on between the two of you. So I don't know if that helps in any way. Um, it is a very difficult situation what you're dealing with with the attitude years. I would say that your connection needs to be as a family and as separate units. But the rules need to apply to the entire family. And one of the things that would be very helpful at this point is you want to make the rules the bad guy not you guys. So you guys can remain as a united front. I gotcha. I know exactly what you mean. It's like, hey, I got to make up the rules. That's the way they are. Yeah. It's like uh, rooms have to be clean before we go out and do anything fun. They're like, you always are on me. It's the rules. The rules say that you have to have your room clean before we go out and do anything fun. So, What about holding kids accountable for, say, what Christine just said about rooms and things like that? Well, what I was going to suggest is that you create something that I call the umbrella rules. And the umbrella rules are rules where a family focuses not on the result of the behavior, but on the impact the behavior has on the other members of the family, so that it really underscores the values and the, um, the rules that you have that are important for your family. In other words, we all know we have to be respectful when we talk to other people. We have to be respectful to grandma and to grandpa and to mom and to dad. But we also have to be respectful to the couch, to the table, to the car, to the dog. And when you're not, we want to go to the family, to the umbrella rules that are posted on the refrigerator and say, what happens when you are disrespectful? Well, you have to do something that is a genuine heartfelt apology. And there's nothing like a doing something nice for somebody that makes you feel better. So I say create a little um, uh, recipe box that's filled with ideas. Sorry, my thing's still open. That's, uh, <laughs> that's filled with ideas of how to make things better. When my kids were disrespectful to me during the attitude years, I would just be able to look at them and say, dude, 
that was really out of line and you know it. So what do you need to do? I guess you're taking a bath, huh, Ma? I'm drawing you a bath with candles. I said, yes, thank you. <laughs> so they got that. It, they had to dig deep inside of them. They had to put away their resentment. They had to put away the attitude. They had to review it. They had to do something nice. It can be anything that you want it to be. But the idea is let's make the rules the bad guy, not the parents, and certainly not the blended parents. So, Sharon, uh, if the rules are the bad guy, and the kids are, hate the rules anyways, wouldn't they want to defy the rules? Well, this gets into a really large conversation about testing and about what it is that um, breaking the rules is all about. And I like to use this example in early childhood because it clearly explains it without any of the emotional uh, confusion of the later years. But the idea is that when a child breaks the rules, what they're trying to find out is where do the rules apply? Do they apply for a little person? Do they apply at lunch and dinner, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, when it's daylight, when it's dark? When do the rules apply? The teenager wants to know the same thing because it's a very um, more complex thing that's going on in the brain, but it's still testing. So you let children break the rules and then you go, dude, what do you think I'm going to say right now? And what do you think you need to do? Now, I'll give you a great example. My son and I uh, were graced with a $100 car years ago given to me by a friend. And he would take it to school and I would take it to my classes at night. One day the car comes home and it is covered in graffiti. And I'm saying the expletives that were all over that car, oh my God. Mm-hmm. He drove it, and I said, look, you cannot take it up into the mountains because it will die. So what did he do? He took it to the mountains. Now, he was almost 18 years old. He called and said, Mom, you need to come get me. The car died. And I said, wow, (laughs) how are you going to get home? He goes, no, you have to come get me. I said, really, dude, I've already told you that that was going to happen. See you tomorrow. Click. No way. the hardest thing I ever did. But that child, in particular, my child, needed to test it and needed to have that boundary at that time. So is it like figuring out what hill you're going to die on when it comes to parenting? Because like, maybe I'm just trying to like process this out loud because, you know, I've my child is, um, our oldest is 17 and a half. And then we have the 12 year old, a 12 and a half year old and a 10 year old. And where I'm at in my stage of parenting right now is choosing my battles. Like there's some things that they're not worth fighting. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's not going to do any of us good. And it doesn't mean that the child is getting away with it, but I'd rather preserve the energy for something that's worth actually committing to. And so there's times when there's a messy bedroom and I let it go for a day or two and then we work on it together but there's the other stuff, like the speaking disrespectfully to the other parent that gets addressed immediately. Does that send mixed messages to kids? Does it have to be like no, hard on them the whole time? No, no, because there are different levers, levels and layers to the importance of things. So what you're doing is you're showing him social interaction and the way that we deal with other human beings. And basically, at 17 and a half, you want to start doing what I call You want to release the child to themselves bit by bit so that they can learn. So every way that you can keep your hands off and go, 
that is a drag. And then walk out of the room. If so the room is messy. So kind of let messy, them fail a little bit then? Like you were saying with please, yours. Please, please let them fail. Because okay. life is not going to chase them. Life is not going to give them a hall pass. Life is going to say, you know, I, I like this, the example of you're not going to show up at work on your first day out of high school and your, your boss is going to say, do you mind doing this? <laughs> Would it be okay if you do this? Pretty please. Yeah, I mean, and and if you don't get it done, well, you know, I'll come help you with it. No, mm-hmm. right. That is not how it's going to go. So, are we really doing um, our kids? We're doing our kids a disservice by not showing them how life works before they leave the safety of our home. Right. And that's I- what I mean by releasing your kids to themselves bit by bit. I would agree with that. One of the things that we have been working on in the house is uh, with the kids, it's when they're getting ready to go back to their other parents' house, because we do, for all three of them, we have different schedules. Um, So it's, okay, your rooms have to be clean before you leave to go back. Or when you come back, we're not going to have anything fun planned that first day because you're going to have to get your rooms in order. And speaking or, of that room, we make sure that they that we don't touch them when they're gone. So when they come back, they're the way it's they, exactly the way that they left it. So, so right. if the housekeeper is coming in between, the rule is because she vacuums and stuff, their room's not going to get vacuumed, and their you know their floor's not going to be mopped, and their laundry's not done because that's part of their responsibility. And we're yeah. trying to work on that and. Um, same thing with the oldest is if your room isn't cleaned up and you forget to pack up everything because it's time to fly home to your dad's house, that's on you because the car is still leaving for the airport at the same time. (laughs) And so um, we're trying really hard, but I think what, where Chris and I, and this is just us being very transparent in our parenting, you, you were talking about it a little bit ago is about how we define respect. And I think that that language of respect is different for both of us. So Chris, how do you feel most respected at home with our kids? What do you mean by that? Like, what is it that they do that makes you feel like they respect you or feel disrespected? Let's flip it around. Thank you. That makes more sense now. Um, I think for me, it's when they use my stuff, like stuff that it belongs to me or belongs to the house. And they, don't ask first. If they were to ask me, hey, Chris, can we use this? I would say, well, let me see what it is first. Oh, I'm, uh, that's not to be used by you right now. Uh, please do not. Or I say, sure, go right ahead. But the fact they do not ask and then they make a mess or break said item or they leave it all out and then go on to another item without putting away the first item. That makes me very mad. I feel very disrespected when that happens. But what are those things that qualify as things they should ask permission about? And I'm just, I'm asking this because it helps me. Like, do they have to ask to use a spoon or a baseball bat? I'm just saying like... Um, what was the thing they got into? I don't remember exactly what it was, but they got into something in the backyard. They got, oh, the barbecue or the grill, or maybe even the, um, uh, stuff, stuff that's, that's mine or something, stuff that's, ha- stuff, stuff that they probably should need to ask for us before they use it. I mean, it's basic common stuff, you know, but, but it's not common sense to kids. That's, I think why I'm trying to ask is because lately, and this is, we're just being transparent, Sharon, is there's yeah. been a lot of friction around, the kids playing with things that we all thought were their toys and things that they could get into, but then it triggers Chris and he feels disrespected and it becomes. I, I think that this disrespect for me really comes into like, like 
if if you're going to get into something and get an entire playset in the backyard and scatter toys all over the backyard, um, at least put them back because I'm not going to be spending my precious time because I have very little time spend it all day cleaning up after them. That's what frustrates me the most. I feel like like my time is not has any value to them at all. So how do you handle this when it happens? That would be where that's the information I need. So they set toys up in the back of the uh, yard. They don't clean it up. Or they, and you find in the middle of all that, they've taken some of your tools. So you've had a double hit of disrespect. Yes. How would you handle it? I would get very angry and well, I go like, out there in a when storm. You, when you say you get very angry, he screams, slams doors and cusses at the kids. Okay. Okay. So the first thing you want to do is look at how was this handled when you were a child? And how did you feel when it was handled that way? Did you hear what your parent was trying to say to you? Can your kids hear you when you're screaming at them? Or do you think they can hear you if you walk out and say, freeze, I see a mess I am not cleaning up and I see things that belong to me. What am I going to say right now? And what do you need to do? Please do it and then come see me and we'll finish talking and walk in. Then you talk about the disrespect. When you take my things, I feel very disrespected. So from now on, there's a sign that goes up over my tool bench that says, have you asked permission yet? And that will be the rule. And if you make a mess, you will clean the mess because the other rule that works for everyone in this family is we all make the mess, we all clean the mess. Yeah, I don't think they really understand that last one. Yeah. But then when the reaction comes, so like part of the parenting is parenting and teaching them Mm -hmm. of what the expectations are and reinforcing it. When we get into our feelings and our emotions, what does it do to kids when we have outbursts like that? Okay, first of all, this is where I sort of depart from most parent educators. Okay. You're human. And if you lose it, it's not okay and it is okay. What you've done is you've expressed that you've hit my boundary. You've expressed that I modeled for you that I failed because I yelled. Where did you fail? Every single moment is a learning opportunity. You can own that you yelled. And you can say, want to know why I yelled? Because I have had it with this. What is it that you can do differently next time so this doesn't happen? It is a huge fertile garden when you start asking questions, when you own the fact that you're human. That makes a lot of sense. Because we're trying so hard to be perfect with our kids. We're trying so hard to run it through our mind and to do the right thing. Our heart is screaming and our guts are screaming. And that's what happened to us in the pandemic is that we ran out of energy. We ran out of logical mind. We're running on emotions. We're running on our guts. And that's where the disconnect is. And so we are pulling from a false sense of empowerment. We're pulling from an imaginary authority that we're not resonating with. We need to find our own authentic authority. And mine is, I use a very deep, firm voice. I have a deep voice anyway, (laughs) but I use a very firm voice. And I had sons and I'm a short woman. So where's my power? And they would look at me and say, 
Um, if you go silent or you give me that face, that is where your power is. <laughs> right. I've I've been having to learn that recently because my 17-year-old is now 6'3", and yeah. I'm 5'5", five, 5'6", five, five, on a good day. <laughs> and first of all, positional power never worked for us. He would yeah. always bristle against it. It felt very aggressive to him. It didn't feel comfortable for me no. either. I'm not going to take that posture that, you know, very um, authoritative and commanding presence to where it scares my kid. I don't want to do that. But the teacher voice is what I refer to it as. It's in the classroom when you say, ladies and gentlemen, and everybody just stops. Or, (laughs) But I was a principal before I became in my current role. And so it's that principal voice where you're having to speak to 600 students and give them the look, like that look. (laughs) It's not like I'm going to kill you. That's not the look. It's the don't cross me right now. It's time to be quiet. (laughs) (laughs) Those of us that can do the look, we do it really, really well. (laughs) There is no mistaking that. But the truth is that I'm trying really hard to give parents tips and tools and methods that are not theoretically based. I learned them through theory, but I'm trying to bring them into daily life. And I'm asking parents check yourself. And are you being honest? Because we're trapped in trying to use the right phrases, use the right words, use the right methods. My question is, are you being true to yourself? Your child came to you because they need to learn things from you. So it's okay to be honest and say, I don't know what I'm going to say, but I do know that I'm mad. And so I'm going to walk out and in five minutes, maybe I'll have a clue. And that's okay, right? You don't like I think that what happens in our household is we feel like we have to finish the conversation. Yeah. Like I have to finish and I have almost like it I have to win. And I right. think that Because you're the parent. Right, because I'm the parent and I think that that's the truth and I'm not going to speak for you Chris, but it's my observation it's what happens for me with our 10 and 12-year-old and it's what I see for you with our 17-year-old. It's like we have to come out on top. Otherwise, we're outnumbered. We're going to lose. It's pure chaos. And and it's just going to devolve into, I don't know, we go into like catastrophizing what's going to happen in our house if Absolutely. the kid Absolutely. gets away with one thing. Well, why don't we reframe what it means to lose or okay. to lose your authority? Because the bottom line is your authority is far more powerful when you are clear calm and honest, period. The idea that you have to model for your child in every single circumstance, they see right past that. Let's not forget that your children have been watching your face and know it better than you do since birth. They couldn't speak. They knew what an eyebrow raised. They knew what a stinky look on your face looked like because they had a stinky diaper. (laughs) They know what is, you know, you're, you're late again and all you do is look at your watch and then you sigh and walk in the other room. They get it. They know. So it's, you don't have to drive the point home. Now, this is a really, really old TV show, and there was a reason that I loved it. The Waltons, I don't know if you've ever seen yes. it. Yes. Ne- it's before my time. <laughs> uh, it was before my time, but I used to watch reruns with my mom. Okay, fine. Yeah, I'll rev it in. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> okay, um, okay. <laughs> it wasn't the schmoozy Hallmark stuff that I loved about it. What it was was the dialogue, the level of respect, the way that they would speak to their children. They would speak honestly. 
and they would talk about feelings and they would say, I know that you love me and I know that you respect me. That moment was disrespectful. Now tell me what motivated that moment for you. Get Mm. to the feelings, get to the core, forget the result. Always try and look at the attitude and the behavior. It's the result. And we'll deal with that in two minutes. Right now, what motivated that? That's unlike you. You're usually a really good listener. What's making it hard to listen right now? What is it? And there you're connecting. You're feeding that well so that when you get to, I do not like it when you talk to me that way. What am I, what do you want me to say to stop you when you go down that road? Mm. Now the child has to flip from emotional, defending themselves, and go into that safety well where they are um, able to process what you said. But the other thing I really want to make sure that you understand is that when you yell at a kid, when we all yell at our kids, and I'm not perfect, I yelled at them, but when you do, the child's first instinct is to withdraw within themselves because they have to protect themselves from the intensity of your yelling. And that immediately shifts their brain. They stop listening and they cannot learn. Mm. So when you respond, you take that heartbeat, that sacred breath. Even if you're triggered, you say, I'm leaving, I'll be back. Or you begin talking. But now they can hear you. And now they're uncomfortable because you're really calm. So it doesn't mean that the behavior will stop because testing will probably come and follow that. But if you're prepared for that trajectory and you know it's on the way, you're good and you're not going to lose it. So I'm just thinking about this. So that speaks to the emotional outburst. What about like I'm going to slam doors or things to kind of get my message through? Does it follow that same thing? Because you're saying like speak with a calm voice and is it just like, I'm going to walk away and I'm not going to mutter things under my breath or try to get the last word in and I'm just going to step away from the situation or, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to make sense of it all. Women can pretty much maybe do that. And men, I would love to see a punching bag or someplace where you go, where you get to discharge all of that. Because I want to honor the fact that that's really how you feel. You're really triggered. You really want to slam something. You're really angry. And, you know, I won't do it publicly, but I would encourage you to look at how were you treated as a child and what were your rules and how was it handled with you? And is this a remodeling of that? And maybe in a different way, because I find that parents will do one of two things. They will either replicate exactly what was done to them or they will go to the opposite end of the spectrum. Interesting. Um, Yeah. So there, you know, it's unique to everybody. But when it comes to these triggers, give yourself a a safe space. I mean, my safe space was I'm going in and I'm going to sit here and turn on some music or meditate or do something. And if my children know my door is closed and they hear that music, they won't come in. And yeah, if dad has to go in and, and my husband would go out and do yard work. And now oh, yeah. you know he's really pissed because <laughs> he doesn't like to do yard work. I do the yard work. <laughs> I think for me it was washing the cars. I should do that a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, was my, that was my thing. Yeah. I mean, you want to go ahead and find something that you, that really works for you, but it also becomes a signal. Uh-oh, don't go near him. He's mad. Look, he's washing the car. That is just as authentic and honest as anything else. 
And this idea that we can run away from our reactions, our reactions are our red flag to the growth we need to achieve. Let me say that again. Yeah. <laughs> our red flags are our are, are way of seeing the growth we need to achieve. If I am triggered, why am I not looking at that for me? Why am I saying it's the kid that's 100% at fault? It's 50-50. Say that again, because that, that was really powerful. And I think we need to hear it again. And I think our listeners need to hear it again. I'm terrible at being able to repeat exactly No, that's fine about the, the looking at ourselves, right? Yeah, I, I really, I wonder why we're not looking at ourselves. I want to know why are we not looking at what's motivating our triggers? And why are we not just basically doing whatever we can to be honest about it and recognize that that trigger is the red flag that is leading us to the growth we have to achieve. Mm. That's powerful. I think that that's a really important point. I think that reflecting on, like taking the time to reflect on our reaction to situations definitely would help us as parents. And the reality is, you know, I never went to nobody taught me how to be a parent. It's like mm -hmm. trial and error. And I feel like, you know, the fact that, so Ezekiel is my, my only biological child. I have three children now, but, mm -hmm. um, he's been my Guinea pig and <laughs> it's almost unfair for them, like trying it out in the first time. And so for Chris, I have so much empathy because here he inherited a preteen and now a teenager. We've been married now almost two years and his oldest um, is 12. And so inheriting a 15-year-old in the middle of the attitude years, that's quite a shock to the system to now have yeah. to pivot your parenting when it hasn't really evolved up to that level. I'm not speaking ill of well, you, Well, also but too, like what has worked for one kid may not work for the other yeah, kid. And also yeah. what their de definition of the umbrella rules are are different coming from when you blend the families because right. it's it's a different it's like what I say is we do this and that the other kids like well I don't do that I've never done that before and, and then different rules at different houses too oh, where gosh. in one house they're allowed to keep yeah. a messy bedroom and then yeah. in the other kids house the other parent cleans everything for them and they're just expected to you know pull their blankets up a little bit but everything is spotless for them when they come home and you know, so we're battling that, like messes are allowed in one place and you don't have to do any cleaning in the other. And then when they all come back here, it's just can be really challenging to navigate. And then that puts stress on the way that Chris and I interact together. And so I would just say like this parenting stuff is hard freaking work. <laughs> it is two quick things. One Go ahead and have a family meeting and all agree to the rules for the umbrella rules and sign a contract. Oh, really? Yeah. Sign enough. a contract? Absolutely. Do we do it in blood? Enough <laughs> that they get to create, help create the rules, which will definitely increase listening and cooperation. But have them sign it so that they, the, the rules that we all agreed to become the bad guy. Right. Now, do we put punishments involved with the rules next to the yeah. rules? Yeah, what you want to do is, and it's a consequence. It's, yeah, okay. it's a corrective moment instead of a punitive consequence. And what I mean by that is they have to clean up the mess they made. They have to um, do something nice for somebody. These are all things that, depending on what your 
love languages um, or whatever, you know, however you guys deal with it, you can come up with on your own. You've been doing it for years, so you're really good with that. (laughs) Um, The other thing I would say is that when you have kids that are challenging and say, well, I don't have to do that at his house. Right. Yeah. I hear hear that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Say, that's nice. Thanks for sharing. (laughs) (laughs) Julie noted. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I'm not challenging you on that. Thanks for sharing. That's good information. Yeah, I'm so happy right for you. There. Yeah, I'm so happy for you that you don't have to do that at the other house. Now, speaking of yeah, ours. Don't even do that because then I've, if it were my kids, i go, you're happy for me? Well, <laughs> how come you won't let me be happy here and not let me do it? And I'm just like, oh, have my head explode. You know, so I cut it short so there's no argument. And the bottom line is, thanks for sharing. <laughs> Your room's right over there. <laughs> I love that. Keep it cool and keep it calm, is what you're saying. Yeah, that's what we're trying to do. And feed the foundation. Really and truly, I am, you know, I can do theory with the best of them, but that's not going to help you in daily life. I speak plain. I speak honest. I'm asking everyone to be authentic. And so I'm giving that to people as well. That is amazing. Thank you. And, you know, we we mentioned before we went on the air for this interview today that we had some rough parenting challenges today and actually over the last several days. So Chris and I were kind of at a breaking point literally right before we got on for this interview, so much so that we were like, do we need to cancel so we can handle this? And I would say that just like you talked about taking that breath, that this has really helped me, I'm not going to speak for you, Chris, but it's helped me take a breath and reflect on what's just gone down and think of how, because we're out in the studio, how I can re-enter the house in a few minutes in a different mindset. Right. Um, and I don't know, Chris, has this been helpful for you? Yes. Thank you, Sharon. You're, you're amazing. You're the <laughs> <Well>, best. <laughs> my pleasure. And you know, I have a gift that, um, I have for everybody because the other thing that I find that parents do is they offer choices to kids, which are great, and they prepare them for the years to come. But the choices that they give empower kids, and that's great, and we're supposed to do that. But usually one of the choices is not one that a parent wants to make. And inside their head, after they said, you can do A or you can do B, in their head they're going, don't choose me. (laughs) Oh, I can't believe I said that. Don't, 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 don't. Yep. Okay. What you want to do is create choices so that it doesn't matter if the child chooses A or B, but they both support your rules and boundaries. Ooh, like uh, clean your room or take out the trash. Your choice. Right. (laughs) It's your choice. Do it now or do it in five minutes. Your choice. (laughs) You know, but the idea is it's going to get done, sweetie. So I reframed 30 choices as my free gift to everyone from coming to proactiveparenting.net. It's a free opt-in. And the idea is that you can offer a choice that will work for you. So you don't have to get into the argument. You don't have to deal with the attitude. And they are based in early childhood, those choices. So you see clearly what to do. But you guys are brilliant. You can easily extrapolate it and age it up. It's very easy. I love that. And so I know that we've chatted a lot about our own dynamics, but can you tell us a little bit about what proactive parenting is and the resources that our listeners can find there? And if they've clued into what you're saying and they find it very beneficial, which I know it is, let us know how we can stay in contact with you. Well, you can find me on Facebook. That's my primary place where I hang out and I use, uh, and I do a lot of tips and methods and tricks there. And that is Proactive Parenting Tips on Facebook. But come on over to ProactiveParenting.net. We have a new um, seminar that's going to launch later this week um, that is 
um, I'm fumbling with the name because I've just changed it, of course. <laughs> Four secrets to give kids to get kids to listen, act respectfully, and do what you want, what you ask, so you can stop yelling and arguing. There so you the go, idea yeah. here is proactive parenting is all about the fundamental dynamics that are what I call the basics. How you remain connected as you correct behavior, how you remain connected so you don't have to really be triggered by the attitude years, plus a bunch more. And then do you offer coaching for parents if they I were do. wanting to partner with you? Because I've been even thinking, Chris, like this has been so helpful. Maybe we need to sign up for some parenting <laughs> classes together, or at least I do. I know I can always grow. <laughs> Well, you know, we're still fumbling around with the class, online class thing. And so right now there are seminars on there and we are probably going to launch a, a class-like thing. But yes, I do coaching. It's one of my biggest things where parents feel really safe, where they can talk to me and do just basically what we did today, which is start unwinding it, taking it apart step by step. You bring me what you're facing and we'll start taking it apart. Works well. I feel like this is a lifeline for so many families, especially coming out of the pandemic. Like I'm literally sitting here almost on the verge of tears because it was oh. a really rough situation earlier. And I feel like as a parent, none of us want to fail our kids and none of us want to fail our spouse. And right. in a blended family dynamic, it's so much more complex because you're bringing these two micro families together and all of the different rules and boundaries and parenting styles and things like that. And it's tough. It is really tough. And we know we love each other and we love our children and we want to be successful, but it, sometimes it just feels like all the odds are stacked against us. And so thank you for giving us some tools today. I don't know, Chris, did you have anything you wanted to say? Um, that's about all I got, Sharon. We're sitting, we're both sitting here on the verge of tears because honestly it feels, whoo, I am going to get emotional. Yeah. Like, you know, my husband always asked me when I'm done, he said, who'd you make cry today? And I'm like, <laughs> thanks babe. Um, no, the, but it's the, like a pressure valve. It's not in a bad it way. Is, it's like, right. I it's feel release. validated and I feel seen and I feel like my husband and I can walk out of this room and feel like we're not enemies. And I think that that's super powerful. Yeah. And you need to be on the same page. And first you want to create same page parenting for the two of you. Have you sat down? I'm assuming you probably have with the skills that you have where you talked about, well, what are your parenting goals and what is, you know, how do we release our children to the outside world so that you guys are both on the same page? But the last thing I want to leave you with is a statement that was given to me many years ago that has really helped. And that is, being honest is the key because the truth holds its own weight. That's heavy. <laughs> yes, indeed. That's that little pregnant pause right there was just for that to sink in a little bit. And, yeah. you know, we really do appreciate not only you sharing with us your background, Sharon, but allowing us to use ourselves as an example, like we were sharing with you. We like our podcast to be personal and we like our listeners to know that we're humans too and that we screw up and don't have all the tools, but together we get better. And so uh, we just want to thank you so much for being here on the show with us today. Thank you for pouring into our lives and helping us on our way to become um, 
I was going to say better parents. parents. Yeah, proactive parents. parents. Really, thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Sharon. We appreciate your time. Thank you for having me, and thank you for your courage and grace. I think you showed people a great deal, and I am honored that you did it in front of me. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I'm Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. And we're the hosts of the Madam's Podcast, where it's all about movies, minus the mansplaining. Every week, we discuss a film that fits into a quirky theme for the month. And there's plenty of bonus content on our Patreon feed, too. So if you're looking for commentary that'll make you laugh and think, you found your new favorite show. New episodes of The Madams drop on Mondays, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at The Madams Pod, or on our website, themadamspod.com. So, listening back to that interview as we've been preparing for this episode... I will say it was a little bit hard to listen through some of the stuff that we were wrestling through because that was a really messy moment for us. Uh, yeah, babe. Yeah, definitely. I think that, I mean, I don't know. It's just learning how to co-parent together, you and I. I think it's so different when you've had a child together and you're learning how to parent as that child is growing up versus like now you have kids that are older and You've had different patterns in different families, and now you have to figure out like how to make it work without saying that one way was wrong or one way is right. Because if we're learning how to come together, sometimes it feels like, well, are you telling me that what I've done the whole time is wrong? And it's like, no, it's just, is that going to work for my child too? You know, it's just, sometimes it can get so messy. And, you know, children do grow, don't forget. They do have their different personalities. And right. if you think about things, especially like food, for example, do you say Ezekiel for the first time ever is now eating like hamburgers and buns together? Yeah, so and exciting. Yeah, so like things like that. Don't forget, they do change their, their tastes and their, they do change their personalities. And but their- the question is, are we learning how to adapt our parenting style together and to meet each of our kids' needs? I think that's what's hard is like, you had a set way of parenting before I came into the picture. And don't forget, my ex-wife has a set way of parenting. Yeah. So you got that dynamic going mm-hmm. on with like everybody in the picture. So you got right. three, like six moving parts to this whole right. equation. You know? Yeah, definitely. There's so many different moving aspects of it. And so, you know, I'm really thankful that we got through that really challenging situation. And I'm really, really thankful that we actually had somebody in our corner to help us work through that. It was so funny because remember that uh, when we were doing that interview, right before that, things were so hard that we were about ready to cancel the interview because we were in the middle of it. Yeah, it was so messy. And that interview, we did it in the... It was the first interview. In the studio. Yeah, the studio. First episode we ever did in the studio that... Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, I'm grateful for her expertise. I'm grateful for what we learned um, continuing to be reflective on how I can be a more, what's the word that I'm even looking for? A more present partner and like really trying to reserve, like preserve, not preserve, eliminate blame. And, you know, it's not been easy, but I think one of the things that I've appreciated is you've been allowing me to set more boundaries for myself to where I'm saying like, okay, can you be in charge of the littles for the day because I really need a little bit of space. And that's been, I really appreciated that. And like when I went up to Kingsburg, I know you always have a little freak out moment while I'm gone. It has to be something. <laughs> it has to be something. But for the most part, yeah, yeah. But for the most part, like 
on Saturday, I'd said to you, hey, I have the bridal shower. I'm going to be really occupied with my family. It's not that I don't want to talk with you. I just really need to be present for them. And I appreciated so much that you gave me that time and you just waited for me to call you because, you know, it made me miss you so much. Yeah. Yeah. It gave me an opportunity to miss you. And then coming home to the kids and, you know, I know you had a little bit of friction with them on Sunday when I was on my way home, but you handled it and you did such a good job handling that public outburst by one of the children. <laughs> oh, yeah, I tell you. Don't was, don't even go into it. It was like barbecue. Come okay, on now. Okay, okay. We don't want to put a kid on blast. That's okay. I will. Come no, on now. <laughs> no. But, you know, I in all seriousness, we we went into this relationship knowing what the statistics are of second marriages, and I'm so grateful that even though things got really hard and messy that we stick it out together. Even if we're not seeing eye to eye, we figure it out. Oh, I appreciate that, babe. And I, I feel exactly the same way too. Do you feel like if you're looking, cause we're almost, can you believe it's like almost two years of marriage? <gasps> what? Yeah. I know. If huh? you were to look back and like thinking of marrying me, would you do it all over again? One billion percent. Oh, thank you. I, you know, that's the thing is even though things can get hard, and parenting can be really tough. I love our family. And I, I love too. I love our boys. They are hilarious. And I just don't like I'll probably cry when I say this, but I always dreamt of having a house full of boys. I didn't know really? it'd be as loud as it would be. Yeah, I never wanted girls growing up. Yeah, you know, I, I only I, wanted boys. I always thought the, you know what I yeah, I always thought the same thing too when I had the kids were being born. Like, what do you want, a boy or a girl? And I was, I was like, thought like boys would be cool. I think the reason why, because I'm a boy, so I figured like we all kind of relate. Like, mm-hmm. oh, what's your Star Wars movie? Like today, I just posted something on Instagram, on Twitter or something. I said, hey, I think Episode One is the best Star Wars. We asked Mason which mm-hmm. one he like. He likes that one. Jacob likes the other one. Mm-hmm. You know that kind of stuff. You know, playing yeah. lightsabers with them in the backyard. You know. But I grew up with all sisters, but I was like kind of a, I don't want to say tomboy because that's not the right term, but I always had guy friends and I felt like I clicked with the guys better. I just was into more like logical stuff and not like the touchy feely, girly kind. And so, you know, I thought like I'd be a good boy mom and you know, I know I'm not perfect, but I would hope that I'm at least a decent boy mom. Oh, you are, babe. You really are. Aww. You are ama- you are amazing, you know. Like, you do things and think of things that I don't even think about. And like, really? Wow. I wouldn't have thought of doing that for the kids. Aww. But you just like knock it out of the park. Thank like, you every, so much. every time you impress me so much and I'm in an awe and wonder if you are amazing on all all levels, babe. We're talking <laughs> like your work, your career, your wedding stuff, the kids Thank stuff, you. the parenting stuff. That's why like when you come home, it's like the hero needs to be here. <laughs> <laughs> to save the day i'm like i'm like the guy i'm like the i'm like the robin you're like the batman yeah. uh well thank you but um i think that we're equals we both shine that's we have that b- both have our opportunities to shine and for our boys they just love you and i appreciate you so much and so thanks for being on this co-parenting blended marriage journey with me and we hope that if you've been listening along um, whether you're you've gone through a divorce and remarriage or whether you're in the midst of that or you have somebody that's affected by it or maybe you never even thought of what the struggles were for blended families maybe you've learned something today and we just hope that you have a little bit more empathy for others a little bit more grace for yourself and that we could all just 
you know, understand that we're doing the absolute best we can. Right, Chris? That is right, baby doll. Absolutely. And so we have another fantastic episode coming for you next week. But in the meantime, we would love for you to catch up on some of our past episodes. And where can people find us? Well, you can go to the all new redesigned Chris and Christine Show website. That is ChrisandChristineShow.com. Absolutely. And you know what? Chris has been setting up our Patreon to get some exclusive content going for our subscribers. So head on over to our link in on the bottom of our website to our Patreon. Subscribe for just, what is it, a measly little $5 a month? Yeah, I totally redesigned it now. I scrapped all of the tier system. So now it's just one flat, cheap little price and you get everything. So it's like everything for the small price. So I've been putting on there exclusive content on the Patreon page right now. I believe it's a $5 pledge. It's all you have to pay. Yeah, $5 and a month. you get access to like uh, interviews, K2 Radio exclusive um, musical sessions. You get, uh, right now, our trip to uh, Lake Arrowhead. If you remember, remember that trip to Lake Arrowhead. <laughs> our t- trip to Lake Arrowhead. Yes, the video is for Patreons only, it's available on Patreon. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much, Chris. And, you know, like Chris was saying, some of our interviews are going to be on there. So if you're a person that loves the interview but and you want to listen to it over again, but you don't have to have the banter, you know, that we're so <laughs> famous for, you're going to be able to get just some of those raw interviews on there for you to listen to and download as well as some other custom curated content that's coming so we'd encourage you to head on over to patreon subscribe five bucks a month help fund the fun over here at the k2 studios and we'll be back with you next next week. week